Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 3. We have seen already in this wonderful letter what it means to be born again to a living hope. The reality that the best is yet to come, the reality that as Christians who are born again, we are not home yet. We are as Christians a chosen race, a treasured possession, a royal priesthood and a royal nation. How incredible is that? What that means is that here in this world, we are just sojourners and exiles. We don't belong here, but we are called to live for Jesus here, to live out our lives in fear and trembling, to live for his glory in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received. And right here in chapter 3, we are examining what that means for husbands and wives. What does it look like to live in a manner worthy of the gospel for husbands and wives? What does it look like to live in a marriage in a way that brings glory to the Lord, brings goodness to the actual relationship we have, and is a witness to the world and to those around us? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at that for wives. Today, it is the men's turn. Brothers, thank you for not being sick today. Tony said to me he would be ill two weeks ago on this day, but he has pulled through. Praise God. He is here. Yes. Well done, Tony. Well done to you other brothers. It is a combination of not getting sick and forgetting that I was preaching on this today. So thank you for that. We are going to focus on 1 Peter 3 verse 7, but I am going to read from verse 1 so that we can understand the context together. This is the word of the Lord. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that your voice would once again speak through the chaos and confusion of our culture on this issue. Lord, you do tell us in your word that where two or more are gathered together in your name, that you will be with us. So Lord, I thank you that you are with us this morning to speak to us. So Lord, would you speak to your people? Would you open our eyes? Would you bring faith and comfort to our hearts? Lord, for every husband in the room, would they be aware that they are specifically being addressed by you now? And would it all be for your glory? In Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I said a couple of weeks ago is that I love to use quotes in my messages and I explained why. And one of my favorites that I wanted to begin with this morning is something I actually heard Sam Albury 
um, a dear brother from the United Kingdom, a pastor, something he said a couple of years ago when he was actually out in Sydney um, preaching at a single-minded conference. And during that time, this is what he said. He said, while singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel, marriage shows us its shape. You know, so much work gets done there in a sentence. While singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel, marriage shows us its shape. Listen, singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel. And I thank God for all the singles that we have in this church that are doing a wonderful job of modeling the sufficiency of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are single, you model this so wonderfully well, and we respect that and we appreciate that. See, make no mistake, my friends, the chief end of man is not to be married. (laughs) Sometimes in Christianity, we can give the impression, or it can appear, that the chief end of all adulthood is to get married. Well, praise God that's not the case. Otherwise, the Apostle Paul and Jesus himself completely blew it with their lives because they died single. You know, the chief end of all man is not to get married. The chief end of mankind is to glorify God with the entirety of our lives. That whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever path the Lord has you on, that you would be all out in zealous love for the Lord Jesus Christ and glorify Him in your lives. The Apostle Paul addresses it this way in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 7. He says, I wish that all were as I I myself am. He's talking about singleness there. He said, hey, listen, I wish you were all like me. And he explains at the end of the chapter why. He says, but each has his own gift from God, one from one kind and one from another. He's explaining, I wish you were all single like me because then you can be undivided in attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can just be all out for him without being encumbered by other things. I wish you were all like that. But we all have different gifts. We all have different paths. You know, for some of you here that are single, maybe you look on at marriage, maybe you hear rumors in your gospel community and think, you know what, I'm fine as I am. (laughs) Thank you very much for playing. I quite like where I am right now. And maybe for some of you, whether you think of that as a season or just your whole life, in all honesty, you're real content in that. And we thank God for that. But maybe for others of you that are single, you find it more difficult because in reality, you wish you had that. You would love to be married like others are in the room. Maybe for some of you, this has been a difficult season because it would appear engagements are happening once a month. Once upon a time, that was me as the single guy. I had actually been engaged before, and the girl broke it off, declaring that she didn't love me. I know it's hard to believe, but yes. (laughs) And I sat there in the pews for several years while all my friends were getting married. It can be hard. Maybe for some of you, it is a hope deferred. Well, listen, whichever camp you fall into, whether you are profoundly content in your singleness or really long for something else with a hope deferred, listen, we thank God that you are doing a fine job of modeling the sufficiency of the gospel. And when it comes to you fitting in this church, you fit right here in the hearts of your pastoral team, and you fit right here in the congregation. We would not be Sovereign Grace Church without you. The chief end of man is not to get married. It is to glorify God, and you are modeling well the sufficiency of the gospel. And we thank God for you. While singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel, marriage shows us its 
shape. And how true that is. The shape of the gospel is uniquely displayed in marriage. And it is a beautiful shape that the Apostle Paul talks to us about in Ephesians 5 as he points back to Genesis chapter 2. Because in that chapter, what you hear in terms of the shape of the gospel that marriage is, we receive the news that marriage, as intended and designed by God, is a moving picture of the glorious relationship between Christ and the church. I remember when I moved to Australia, you can't actually um, just go ahead and marry somebody unless you're a part of a more formal denomination, which apparently two churches in Australia doesn't count as just yet. So you have to become a marriage celebrant. So I did that. And I remember at one of the lunchtime meetings, um, people were just sitting around and we were discussing what marriage is in Australia, which is at that time, the marriage, uh, a union between a man and a woman voluntarily entered into for life, excluding all others. And I just said, do you think that's all it is? And everybody in the room was just like, I have no idea what it really is. So I said, well, I think I do. They said, well, what is it? I said, well, marriage is intended and designed by God is a moving picture of the glorious relationship between Christ and the church. (laughs) It started quite a discussion over lunch. (laughs) But they were leaning in and they were interested. But that's what it is. It's been designed by God as a moving picture. Jesus Christ is the perfect bridegroom. The church of Christ as his bride. It's a moving picture within marriage of how that all works. So we're equal in value and worth and dignity, but husband and wife, we have different roles, and it's designed by God to be a picture to everyone around of Christ's relationship with his church and how they love one another for the glory of God. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at what it means to be a beautiful wife. Opening in verse 1 through to verse 6, we discovered that part of the role of a wife is submission to her husband. To have a willing disposition in her heart then to honor and follow the leadership of her husband. We also saw in Peter's writing that one of the main fuels of that is to pursue a gentle and quiet spirit. And we discovered that that doesn't mean that everybody just has to be quiet. You could be very quiet and not have a gentle and quiet spirit. You could be very loud and have a gentle and quiet spirit. Because a gentle and quiet spirit, quite frankly, is something within. It is an unwavering confidence in God no matter what's happening. An unwavering confidence in God that, Lord, I trust you. And I'm going to honor you. And I'm going to live for you in, my, in light of my family and for your glory. And singles, once again, don't think, oh, that, that would probably start when I put a ring on my finger. Negative. It's something that the Lord looks at at all women and says, listen, that is precious in my sight. Pursue that. Be women of the word and be women who model a gentle and quiet spirit. And married, you must do this because it is what is going to fuel in your heart that confidence in God to allow submission to take place towards your husband. Two weeks ago, that's what we examined by way of a beautiful wife. This morning, we're going to look at an understanding husband in verse 7. Three points then, number one, the call, number two, the reasoning, and then finally finally three, the warning. I love the way this works. The women get an encouragement that this is precious. The guys get a warning. (laughs) And yet I come to this with one hope, that we'd once again hear the voice of God today. 
that as we gather around his word, we would allow God's voice to speak and not our cultural voice. See, sadly, we live in a time where any type of leadership and masculinity becomes toxic masculinity. It's all put in the same basket. So any sense of a husband leading, who do you think you are? That's toxic. Well, I want us to see what is toxic biblically. But I also want to show you all masculinity is not toxic. It's designed by God. And there's things that us brothers need to be doing, particularly in the context of marriage. The three points. Here's my first, number one, the call. The call. Husbands, pay attention. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. What is the call of God on your life as a husband? It is to live with your wife in an understanding way. See, men and women are made equal in their value and worth and dignity before the Lord. Without any doubt, we are equal image bearers of God himself, both needed to display the glory of God and who he really is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in the same breath, men and women are different and distinct in their roles. And within the marriage context, as we saw a few weeks ago, husbands are called to be the heads and spiritual leaders of their home. They are to provide loving and caring and protective leadership towards their home. And wives are designed by God to be the helpers in their home. A position in which they use all their God-given gifts and abilities and strengths to help their husband as he seeks to lead their home for the glory of God. That is the way God designed it to be for his glory and our good. And it's in Ephesians 5.25, we then discover what it is that characterizes this type of leadership and headship. What does it feel like? What is the tone of this leadership and headship that God has given us responsibility for? Well, Ephesians 5.25 explains it. Husbands, pay attention. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. My friends, if you want to know then what defines this God-given headship and leadership, well, it is a God-given leadership and headship that is characterized in tone by sacrificial love. Men who, like Christ, laid his own life down for his bride, men who do the same in their hearts as they love and care for and lead their beautiful wife. See, God has not called husbands to dominate their wives or to seek to control their wives, insisting that they must submit in everything because that's their jobs. That's what the Bible calls domination. That is what our society calls toxic masculinity. It's what I call abuse. It is wrong. You should not be dominating your wives in any shape or form. He says exactly the same to pastors later on. He says, listen, pastors, when you care for the flock, they need to be submissive to you. They need to have a disposition to follow you. So don't lord it over them. Serve them. Lay your life down for them. It's exactly the same to husbands here. We are not called to dominate our wives or control our wives. Likewise, we're not called to provide a roof over our wife's head and be Mr. Fix-It around the home and think our job is done. That's called abdication. It's the other side of the coin. 
And my experience is in Australia, I don't think domination is necessarily our major challenge. Abdication, I think, is a bigger challenge. Because we hear so much about toxic masculinity, any type of leadership goes into that, so I'm not going to do anything. I'm too afraid. That's abdication. That's what happens in the fall in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. Abdication. I don't want to lead. It's too hard. Now, God has called husbands to lead. He has called you to be the head and leader of your home. And the tone of it is that we are exhorted to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, you are called to love your wife, to lead her, to serve her, to care for her, to protect her as Christ has done the church. Carrie Sandham in a wonderful book, Different by Design, it says, if we think humble submission is a tall order for wives, then the command here for husbands is surely no less demanding. In fact, the standard required of them may be even harder. They are to love their wives as Christ loved the church which means loving them sacrificially, even to the point of giving themselves up for them. As head of the family, they are to nurture, protect, and care for their wives, even if it means dying to protect them from harm. And once again, it is the Lord Jesus himself who provides the perfect model for them to follow. Brothers, this is a tall order, is it not? You are to love your wife, to lead her, to serve her, to care for her, protect her, as Christ has done the church. Your leadership and headship of your home should be characterized by sacrificial love, akin to that of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And if we were then to define in a word what this sacrificial and loving leadership actually looks like, then I believe that word would simply be understanding. How do you lay your life down for your wife? Peter tells us right here. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Husbands, that's what sacrificial love looks like. Number one, it looks like understanding. So when you brothers became husbands, in that very same moment as you said, I do, God put you on point for your family. If your family was going into war and you spread out like a V, you are at the top. You are leading your home. If Jesus comes back today, he's not going to put the mic in your wife's hand or your kid's hands. He's giving it to you to speak. Because you're on point. You're called to lead your home to care for them, to protect them, to lay your life down for them. And when you became a point man, rule number one is you really need to understand what the heck you're doing. Because it is the call of God on your life. And you need to experience and understand, I think, two main things to be able to sacrificially lead your home well. Number, Number one, you need to understand the Lord. There needs to be great understanding of the Lord. I mean, what is it that he's actually called us to as a family? Because I'm leading us forward. Where are we going? I don't know. They're looking at you. <laughs> you tell them. Where are we going? What are we doing? What is your guidance? Right here. 
Okay, Lord, as we follow you, because they seem to be following me, um, help me, help, help me, work out where am I going. We need this word to guide our path, gentlemen. We need this word to show us this is where we've got to be going as a family. By the grace of God and for the glory of God, we need to understand what even is this marriage that we're in? What is it that we're trying to reveal to the world? How are we seeking to train these children for the glory of God? And at the same time, we need to understand who God really is, don't we? Who He is in His majesty and in His love. Who He is in His sovereignty and holiness and power and understanding. All these things will guide our path and help us to lead our family forward for the glory of the Lord. If we're going to live with our wives in an understanding way, then we need to understand the Lord. And secondarily, we need to understand our wife. You can't lead a woman that you don't know. You have to give time and energy to understand your wife. Peter Davids, in his commentary, says it this way. He says, this knowledge is not an analytical knowledge or religious insight but personal insight that leads to loving and considerate care. That's beautiful. He's not saying, hey man, just sit in your bedroom and read the Bible. You'll be sweet. You'll be able to tell the family where to go. No, he's saying you need to read the Bible in your bedroom, then come out and study your wife so that you can lead her in a loving way and in a considerate way and in a careful way. Husbands, what this means is truly knowing your wife. Knowing your wife's hopes and her dreams and her desires and her aspirations. Knowing how she's doing in the Lord, how, how she's going in God's word. What is she reading right now? How is God speaking to her? Knowing what she's seeking to grow in. Coming alongside her in those things. Knowing her worries and her fears and her temptations. Knowing what's on her mind any given day or week or month. And not always saying, hey, give me the man version. Just make it really brief. No, let her extend. Just tell me. Tell me what's on your heart. And then tell me what you want me to do with it. Like, is this just a listening moment or a solving moment? Because I need to know. But you need to understand what is on her heart. What's in her mind. What are her concerns any given day or week or month? What concerns does she have for herself or for you or for the children or for the season that she is in right now? Living with your wife in an understanding way means being a wonderful student of your wife. So you can lay your life down for her and lead her. Jared Mellinger simply says, The understanding husband is to be an emotional refuge for his wife, a confidant and friend. It's so beautiful. Husbands, that's what God has called you to do. To live with your wife in an understanding way and be an emotional refuge for her. Headship then has not been given by God to dominate nor abdicate. It is to be characterized by sacrificial love. And in a word, what that means is understanding. Understanding the Lord. So you may lead your home. And understanding your wife. So you can deeply and considerately care for her. Husbands, questions then to consider. How are you going at living with your wife 
in an understanding way right now. If I was to pause the meeting and go around and interview all your wives, what would they say? Would you want me to do that? Or does the thought of it make you sweat even as you sit there? How are you going? Put another way, how are you going at really knowing the Lord Jesus right now? How are you going at being a man of the word and understanding the call of God on your life and the call of God on your family's life? And then how are you going at truly knowing the beautiful woman that sits next to you right now? How are you going at really knowing them? Knowing their likes, their dislikes, their hopes, their dreams, their time with the Lord. That's what it means to live with your wife in an understanding way. And quite clearly in the context, this is how your marriage unit is going to work, how it's going to go well for you, how you'll bring glory to God and how you'll be a witness to those around you looking on, seeing, saying, I see something different in your marriage. Why? Because what they're seeing is Christ and the church operating. And then Peter gives us another reason why this is so important that husbands operate in this way, which is point two, the reasoning. Look again at verse seven. He says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. You know, I must admit, when you read that bit, it is another sharp intake of breath moment. I'm not sure if I went into the public square and said, hey, ladies, you're the weaker vessels, it would go too well, you know. That's because, sadly, through a cultural lens, that is, that is classed as a phrase of disdain, of putting down. But actually, within the context and God's word, it is actually a term of endearment. See, he's not saying there, that ladies are weaker in wisdom or intellect or maturity or influence or gifting or abilities. That's not what he's saying. Ladies aren't weaker in those things at all, just to be clear. My wife outdoes me in all of the above. She even outdoes me in strength, you know, it's just everything. I remember when, uh, I mean, talk about being outdone, we were, we were laughing with the kids about it the other day. I remember when, I, I, I did all right at school, I did well on the whole, um, in my A-levels and in my GCSEs, my HSC stuff, I did well. Emma um, phoned me with about three weeks before exams, saying that she hadn't done any revision, could I help her put a thing together? To, so I came over, rushed over, and helped her put the sort of chart together, what she's going to be studying. She did better than me! I, I studied for months, three weeks, and she totally smashed me! You know, this does not mean that wives are weaker in those things like intellect or opportunity or maturity. Not at all. What it's talking about here is how our wives are in a weaker position than us. Why? Because God's called you to lead. As husbands, He's called you to lead. And your wife is called to have a disposition to follow you. That is a weaker position. So He's saying, hey, listen up. Take good care of her. Don't lord it over her. Honor her. Offer sacrificial love for her. Because she's in a weaker position than you. And then, he says, and gentlemen, listen. Remember, she is a co-heir with you in the grace of life. That bride by your side is a co-equal image bearer of God. The image of God can be seen in her. 
That bride by your side is co-equal in spiritual privilege. She too has been chosen before the foundation of the earth. She too is treasured by God himself. She too is part of a royal priesthood. She's also co-equal with you in eternal importance. She too has been born again to a living hope and one day will stand before the Lord and receive well done and welcome home. That's the lady who stands by your side. See, brothers that are married, I want you to understand something. Outside of Christ, your wife is the greatest treasure you have. Outside of the glories of the gospel, that wife in a moment of insanity that said yes to you is the greatest gift that you have. In Proverbs 18 verse 22, we read, He who finds a good wife finds a good thing. I think you could go on ahead and put our names in there, gentlemen. And Proverbs 12 verse 4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. My estimation of Sovereign Grace Church Warunga is we have all married up. We are talking different league by multiple leagues. I know you men, you are out of your league. And so am I. (laughs) The greatest treasure you have outside of Christ is your wife. She is a co-heir with you in the grace of life. And God, in his wisdom and profound grace, has said, hey, listen up. I want you to lead her. So I'm giving it to you. Take good care of my daughter. Because she's a treasured possession to me. Part of my royal priesthood. I, I chose her before the foundation of the earth. But right now I'm giving her to you. Lead her well. Because she's a co-heir with you. Isn't it beautiful? Husbands, when we see what is being said here, it should cause our hearts to go, thank you, Lord. And yes, I want to lead her with sacrificial love like you have shown to me. Lord, help me to treasure my wife and lay my life down for her like I'm called to do. It should cultivate that in our hearts. But just in case it doesn't, Peter has one final word for all you brothers. Number three, the warning. Verse seven again. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Brothers, this finishes with a warning. What does it look like then if you refuse to show honor to your wife? What does it look like if you refuse to live with her in an understanding way? Well, there's a consequence. Your prayers will be hindered. Wayne Grudem says it this way. He says, So concerned is God that Christian husbands live in an understanding and loving way with their wives that he interrupts his relationship with them when they are not doing so. For no Christian husband should presume to think that any spiritual good will be accomplished by his life without an effective ministry of prayer. And no husband may expect an effective prayer life unless he lives with his wife in an understanding way, showing honor to her. Brother, so concerned is God himself 
that where there is a failure to live with our wives in an understanding way and to honor her, he himself then will seek to get our attention by refusing to answer your prayers. What a sobering reality that is, don't you think? What a sobering reality. Is this a punishment? No. Jesus Christ paid for our punishment in full on the cross. What this is, is loving, fatherly discipline towards you. He so loves you and so loves the woman by your side that if you refuse to listen to her, you refuse to live with her in an understanding way and seek to honor you, he's happy to interrupt his relationship with you and not answer your prayers to get your attention. What a sobering reality. God disciplines those he loves, the book of Hebrews tells us. And he's so committed to that end that he will not listen to your prayers. What a sobering reality. It's a sobering reality that I trust, brothers, we don't need. Because I trust we are wonderfully motivated already. By Lord, thank you for this wonderful gift that you have put by my side. For outside of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, our wives are our greatest treasures. They are excellent crowns for our lives. I trust that motivates us to say, Lord, help me to live with my wife in an understanding way for your glory and my good and as a witness to those around. I'm aware for some of you men, this all may be very new to you. And so I have three book recommendations for you that I believe may help. If you are new to leadership, if you are new to being the head of your home, as we all are at different points in our lives, there's three books that I recommend for you. The first would be Point Men, How a Man Can Lead His Family by Steve Farah. That used to be a book that I would read on an annual basis on our January holidays and get convicted of all the things I hadn't done the year before and want to try again. But it's helpful. It's a helpful reminder as I'm seeking to lead my family and lead my wife. wife. Lord, what exactly am I meant to be doing? found that book a really helpful one. Another book would be The Manual, Getting Masculinity Right by Al Stewart. It's a book that Brendan's reading at the moment and is raving about. Obviously, it's an Australian book written by Al Stewart, so that could be helpful too. That would be a book that you can get a hold of and understand what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a husband for the glory of the Lord? Another book, finally, would be Sex, Romance, and the Glory of God by C.J. Mahaney. That's a book that most men want because of the first word, but I want to encourage you, it's primarily a book about all the other words. It's a book about romance and for the glory of God. It's talking about how do you live with your wife in an understanding way? What does it mean to touch the heart and the mind before we touch the body? An important reality for the glory of God. It's a wonderful book that I recommend you get a hold of. You don't have to get a hold of it in a brown paper bag. You can just buy it and enjoy it. But I trust for all of you, particularly for you husbands, I, I trust the Lord's moving on your hearts right now. And I just got two questions that I want you to consider this week. Two questions that I want you to ask your wives this very week. And if you're not making notes, I trust you have an excellent memory because your wife will remember this. <laughs> Number one, if you are completely honest with me, which I want you to be, how would you honestly evaluate my living with you in an understanding way. 
if you are completely honest with me, which I want you to be, how would you honestly evaluate my living with you in an understanding way? And then secondarily, what's one specific way I can be a better leader to you right now? Brothers, I want to encourage you, giving these things to your wife, these questions to your wife, I wouldn't recommend just like doing it on the way home. You know, all the kids going, Bleh! in the back. And just, hey, did you have any thoughts for me? No? Okay, thanks. Okay, that's not going to be helpful. I'd encourage you to say to your wife, can you prayerfully consider these things? Would you take the time, arrange some time in your diary, sometimes in the next seven days, where you can have unhurried time to then hear the input of your wife? Don't just spring it on her. And then just a thought for wives pastorally. I, I want to encourage you as wives, be very honest with him and limit your points to just two. Okay, this is not a helpful list moment because us boys, we get a bit overwhelmed and we're not as bright as you. So just try and dumb it down for us. Just give us no more than two things. I'm just trying to help you. Be a friend. It's not in the Bible. Just trying to be a friend uh, right now to assist you as you help your husbands. But I, I want to encourage you, wives, be honest because your husbands need you. You have been designed by God to be a wonderful helper to him. That isn't all encouragement. We do go well with encouragement. But being a wonderful helper like I have had for the last 23 years of my life also means putting your hand up and saying, hey, this is where I think you need to grow. This would be my observation. Do you agree, disagree? In that way, you will be a wonderful helper to your husband. You know, my friends, I trust where this leaves us all in, whether we be husbands, wives, or singles, I trust where this leaves us all is running to the perfect bridegroom in the season that we are in in our lives. We so desperately need the Lord, don't we? How is a man by himself going to lay his life down for his wife like Christ does the church? Ah! We need the Lord. We need His Spirit at work in our lives, helping us and giving us grace in these things. For Mr. Albury is right. While singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel, marriage shows us its shape. We're all in different paths here at Sovereign Grace Church. But I want to exhort you, let's run the path well that God has assigned to us. Assisted by the great bridegroom. Let's run hard for Him. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Lord, you are the perfect bridegroom. And I thank you for once address, once again addressing us so wonderfully well. Lord, I do thank you that your word is clear. We're not left guessing on this issue of marriage. It could not be clearer, the roles that you have given us to play. So, Lord, would we run into them with all our might? Would we not just tolerate what you've given us? Would we celebrate it? Because this has been designed by you for our good and your glory and to the witness of the world. So Lord, help us to be men and women as described in this text. Whether we be married or whether we be single, Lord, I thank you for helping us now know what to champion, what to applaud, what to celebrate. Oh Lord, where we see it, would we give all the glory to you? And we thank you in advance for your great help. In Jesus' name.